Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. This episode includes themes of mental health, self-harm and suicide. If you need any support relating to the topics discussed, please check out our show notes and follow the links to organisations that can help. Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hello and welcome to the podcast this week. As usual, I have the beautiful and wonderful Sara Elgin with me. Sara, how are you? Oh, I love my intros so much, honestly. Oh, I'm always that nice you to you. You are always that nice you to know. me. I know, I'm saying I love it. I'm very well, thank you, Lawrence. How are you? I've got to be honest, I'm a little bit tired. Are you? Why yes. are you tired? Well, because when I played, I only played one game a week, didn't I? But now that we're working, and I'm not complaining about it, I'm doing two games a week, and I was at Saracens, and then I had to travel up to Leicester. And normally it's all very good, but there's train strikes at the moment, and it's a Sunday, and it's just, it's been a bit painful. A long day yesterday. Have you waited till you got in here to, like, release your moanage to, to us? To, to moan. well, no, yeah. I thought, well, no, I thought I'd let you moan first, off the podcast. I have been moaning today. I'd come in. But no, I'm all right, thanks. Just a little bit weary. It was also very cold this weekend, wasn't it? It was cold, but mm. it was wet up at Leicester. Oh, where was your black jacket from on Friday? Love Which that. Which one? Yeah, oh, the, the long, long one, the, the matrixy one. one. Yeah. It was Zara. The majority oh, of my clothes are Zara. Like you were really looking at it. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. and I, I, I'm looking at your glasses, actually. This is so random. Have you got new glasses? Well, they are new because I lost them yesterday. Oh, right? okay. I mean, so I, you got new ones. I, don't inv- I have invested in a really, really good pair of glasses and they stay at home. They never leave the house. Okay. And these are, well, £4.50 each. Right. They look actually very expensive. <laughs> £4.50 each because I've got about 20 pairs of these because I, uh, I seem to lose a lot of No, I'm just saying because I need, I think I need glasses. I think I've gotten to that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you I read think, that over there? You do, you do when you well, read... The big sign that says rugby podcast with Lawrence Delalio. I can just about well, manage that, right, Steve. No, you, yeah. you, you, you do need glasses, especially when you're looking at your watch in London. <laughs> I'm always late. You know that. You know that. Anyway, how are you, Steve? I'm good. Yeah, no. Um, good. My son is... Uh, turns into a teenager tomorrow so uh getting ready for the uh, Kevin and Perry outlook which will come which I'm sure you know all about that anyway um, <laughs> a bit of a comedy night last night as well went to see Ramesh Ranganathan did you he, I love him he was he He's was good, doing yeah. some new material at a pub in New Malden which was really I random. like the fact really that cool. all these, they've all become like big time superstars with their stage shows and their TV things but getting back to the sort of spit and sawdust of a comedy club must yeah. be terrifying actually yeah. well, it was well it's, it's interesting because I've never seen somebody prepare doing new material before and obviously he's got it all written down at the side and he's going now should we do this one or should we do that one and there was a couple that didn't go down very well and he went right 
get rid of that. That must be really uh, interesting, though, to be a part of working out what's funny and not. So is this a a pilot where he's basically testing new material on people who are good at laughing? He did did tell us how lucky we were to be there, which (laughs) I kind of get. It's fair enough, isn't it? Presumably he wants a few people there who are quite cynical. So you get a mixture because, I mean, Sarah and I laugh at anything, to be honest. We do, to be fair. We do. We laugh at Austin every weekend. But you need (laughs) someone who's a bit more cynical who's sort of... Yeah, I think you do. But it's just interesting to see how we fitted it all together, really. I really like him. Yeah, no, it's, good. Good. it's important for him to do that before he takes it to the O2 and exactly. get that stuff out of the you way first. You, you don't want the moment that happens when I tell jokes where you get the, there's a the tumbleweed going again. Yeah. yeah, just, yeah but they're, they're called the dad jokes. They're for a particular That's audience. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you've heard his voice already, actually, because I guess this week is the founder of a charity whose goal is to open up conversations about mental health, especially within the rugby community. It's Simon Trower. How are you, Simon? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, nice thank you to very, have you yeah, here. Thank you very much for having me. It's a um, privilege. So yeah, thank you. Well, it's, really it's our you. privilege. And Simon, it's very timely that we've got you on as our guest. Uh, round eight of the Premiership this weekend was in support of the RPA's Restart Charity and dedicated to raising awareness of players' mental health. And of course, with recent announcements, and there have been many actually from Owen Farrell, that he's going to take a break from international rugby to prioritise his and his family's mental well-being. There couldn't really be a better time to have you on the show and bring this topic to the table and I guess have an honest conversation about it. I know your reason for setting up Brave Mind is, is a very personal one. Are you happy to share that story with us and, and how you came to set up and start the charity? Yeah, of course, that was my main purpose, to be honest, is sort of demonstrate vulnerability. And if I can help one person, then yeah, I've done my job, to be honest. So Brave Mind was started 2020, so lockdown. I think it was a massive time for reflection for everybody. But for me, it was around thinking about the two main passions in my life, which was rugby and my own mental health journey. My rugby journey started from the age of six. I was born into a rugby household. Um, every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday was a rugby club. And I was an anxious child. I speak to my parents now and say, you know, what was I like as a kid? And they'll say, yeah, you were quite a nervy kid. But rugby was my therapy. It was something that I'd go and play, just forgot everything that was off the pitch for 80 minutes. I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety when I was 21, had a career ending injury when I was 25, 26. And it got to 2019, where I offered my services at a local club just to coach. And a young lad joined us pre-season that year who was extremely open about his mental health. And for me, it was a big, like, wow, I'm not used to that. I'm 45. When I was playing, you just didn't mention it at all. It was very much a pull your socks up kind of environment. Extremely uh, masculine environment, let's call it that. But this lad, you know, had played England students. He was at Bath University, but he attempted on his own life. But he was extremely open about his mental health. And he really inspired me. We went into lockdown. And for me, that was a case of, look, I want to learn more about my own mental health journey try and help others and if I can combine that with my love of rugby because I can't play it anymore sounds a bit strange but rugby sort of defines me as an individual it was part of me that was missing and if I can't play it what else can I do and that's kind of how it started so you know when you say that during lockdown you started to learn more about your mental health journey what did you learn what did you address maybe at that period of time maybe that you you hadn't before then yeah so I went on a mental health first aid course which was a two-day course just met some amazing people on that from all different walks of life learned a huge amount that just sort of confirmed that I definitely wanted to learn more about this space because I still struggle with it now on a daily basis I was put on antidepressants when I was 21 and I'm still on them now at 45 I want to come off them eventually but equally I don't want to rock the boat so it was trying to learn and educate myself 
on it, the different challenges that people can go through, whether it's self-harm, eating disorders, there's a huge amount out there that uh, people are struggling with. Yeah, and just give us an idea um, then about how you're going about affecting the changes that you want to see. You're working with organisations and predominantly rugby clubs. What type of things are you doing or is the charity doing with them to kind of affect the change that, that Brave yeah. Mind would like to see? So predominantly working with grassroots rugby clubs, rugby teams and universities, colleges, schools, all touch points of rugby. You know, I was talking to um, England Touch Rugby this morning. You know, initially when I first started, it was very much men's mental health. Then I thought, now this should just be, let's promote the game of rugby. Let's just try and help anybody. Yeah. And when you say help, rugby, I mean, what, what are you actually, tell us a little bit about what you're actually doing. Yeah, so we've got a club together initiative that we do. So we get around sort of 15, 16 people. So different representatives are from across the rugby club, whether that's minis and juniors, women's section, whoever, basically. We train them in mental health first aid and mental health awareness sessions. We've got a team of sports psychologists that we have on board that we've developed evidence-based sessions around dealing with stress, dealing with pressure. And we deliver that as part of the package. So that's what we're doing at the moment across the country. Do you talk about pulling your socks up? Well, you might want me saying, but during your career, you had some pretty testing moments, losing the England captaincy. What sort of help did you get when you were playing? Well, I mean, not a great deal, uh, as we've already heard. You know, mental health were two very distinct words, as mental and health. I mean, no one really understood the game of professional rugby anyway, certainly at my level, because we were doing things very much for the first time. You were expected to just cope with lots of things on your own, really. And no one really knew what the implications were of being a professional rugby player. We were the first people to do it. So until you've been there a period of time and there's been a bit of research and a bit of understanding, then you look back and think, well, what are the pressures? And I suppose I always had a, a reference point. You know, I lost my sister, which I talk about very openly. And that was the reason why I got into rugby, because I needed a family and a support system to help me and my parents. So, yes, there's highs and lows in sport and in rugby particularly. You win games, you lose games. I've been on the front page of the newspaper, sadly, been on the back page happily. Um, but the perspective is the important thing. When you've been in quite a different dark place like I was when I lost my sister, anything that happens thereafter is probably, if I lose a game of rugby, you know, of course I'm disappointed. If I lose for my country, I'm even more disappointed, but it's not like the same as getting the news that your sister's not coming home again, you know? So I was always able to put it in perspective and, and not be too upset. But we are a very, up until more recently, a very male-dominated environment. It's quite macho, it's quite alpha male. Of course, we have issues and problems, but I think that it's the ultimate team game, but yet you sometimes, players and people within rugby clubs still feel very much on their own. And we used to have little kind of ways of trying to cope with it, which was to make sure that you paired people up within the club with someone else. And if there was like a buddy or a mentor, and if there was issues that you wanted to talk about that you didn't want to talk about openly in front of the coach or in front of maybe more senior players like myself, you could go and speak to your buddy and just have someone to to have your back, really. Who was your buddy? Well, I've had many, actually. I went through quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the same club for 20 years, don't forget. So uh, I think within the England team, it was Neil back actually okay. um, so that was my guy I feel um, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but I feel like things have started to change recently that that you know it's a known fact but the men are particularly bad at talking about their feelings and how they're how you know how they react to situations but I do feel when you have prominent and uh, well-known people especially in the sport in the sporting environment come out and talk about their mental health journey 
it has seemed to help, hasn't it? Do you, yeah. do you feel like we're moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. You know, COVID, although it was horrific for a lot of people, it had a positive impact because it put mental health up the agenda. Yeah. I think if you look at Owen you know, recently talking about his challenges, it's incredibly sad. But on the positive element, somebody like that who's, who's a leader who's actually probably put things in perspective. But I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I know, listen, it is sad to a point, but I don't think it is sad. I think it's actually very good because what it does is it shows everyone in, in our sport, in the world generally, that it doesn't matter who you are, exactly doesn't matter what, how mm. high, high up the tree you, you climb mm. and you get to, you have the same issues. And in many ways, a lot of the stigma around mental health for people maybe that don't play at Owen's level is that, oh, that's a problem that affects me. It doesn't affect anyone else. And for those who maybe think that Owen is incredibly resilient, which he is and he has shown that you know it's it, there's a vulnerability there in, in that's all, the in, word in, I think in, in all of us yeah. you know in all of us and mm-hmm. and the fact is that we should recognize that and it shouldn't take Owen Farrell to have to do that himself or the people around him at Saracens you know the game doesn't really look after the individual the recovery has got much much better in, in our game of rugby no doubt about that players are looked after they're rested a tiny bit better than they ever used to be but it doesn't look after the individual and we are obsessed in rugby union with measurement we measure line outs we measure scrums we measure meters made all these kind of stats the one area you can't measure and i say this all the time is what's going on in people's head yeah and and you, not what you see and is, it, yeah. is and what if you could yeah. we don't know what's going on exactly very very Mm. wealthy person but the reality is that it is important when we talk about player welfare and we talk about resting players it's it's about resting their minds as well yeah. and look I reflected this weekend it's a pretty sad weekend in our sport really we've had a international referees had death threats we've had Tom Foley who's just said I'm stepping away from the international game I've had enough because he was the TMO in the World Cup final yeah. we've got Owen Farrell um, who is most high profile but I'm sure there's a number of other players who probably feel the same way we've had a pundit on our on our channel who's been racially abused I mean is that society or is that rugby? Because there were some serious issues that you know that mm. we could tackle across all of it. I mean, our game's gone, it's gone mad. Do you talk about lockdown? Actually, for me, I mean, obviously, I'm not a sportsman. I'm just doing what I do and doing the job. But I've actually found that I've struggled more to cope with the changes that have come post-lockdown rather than during lockdown because I think for men, our roles have changed so much in such a short space of time. A lot for the better in what way well I see a lot more now of my children than I ever did but obviously when I was in the office Monday to Friday 9 to 5 30 that's your role so that's your job that's what you're expected to do whereas now you've got the leeway and you're able to do a little bit more in terms of hybrid working so you can be here you could be there but now you're a little a little bit more and there's a little bit more expectation on well you will have more of a role to play with the kids and you will do a little bit more and then you're trying to balance I mean, there are days when you get through and you go, I haven't given enough to work, I haven't given enough to my family, and I haven't given enough to myself. And you get to the end of that and go, what did I actually achieve today? And then you start processing it backwards again and you think, well, all right, I'll try and do it again tomorrow. But you don't want, I guess, that to spiral in a way. The critical thing you said there, though, is that I'll try again tomorrow. Yeah. I think that's that's the big thing, is just trying again and it can be there's this five minute rule where you just try something for five minutes and that could be having a shower or getting out of bed or you know just doing some really small mundane tasks but it's just trying I think that's the thing and recognizing that I've had a bad day (laughs) things like that happen and it's saying right tomorrow's a new day Let's try again. Yeah, so I mean, I'm really intrigued. You know, you obviously are having conversations through your own experiences with rugby players across the board from grassroots, as you mentioned, all the way up to international superstars. I know we've had Marley Packer on the show. She's an ambassador for this charity, Brave Mind. We've got likes of the Willis brothers. One of the challenges that you're hearing from some of your grassroots players all the way up to the top end of the game to someone like Marley Packer. 
I think it's just overcoming that fear of feeling ashamed, feeling embarrassed. I think that element of vulnerability and being open with yourself is huge. And I think what I'm seeing is if, if someone's in a bad place, you can offer support, you can offer help. If they don't want to help themselves, they won't improve. That's the big thing. How do you get someone to talk, though, who doesn't want to talk? Oh, that's a very, very good question. Do you do you let them, because I'm sure that the people listening to this and, and maybe know that a relation or, or a friend is going through this, but if that person doesn't want to talk, yeah. do you leave them not talk? Because that's quite worrying then. Or do you make them talk? Like, how do I don't you... think you can't make anybody talk. I think we've got to create an environment and a culture that we educate ourselves on these matters. Listening. I think there's a lot of people that are probably scared of going into this space, where actually it's just about listening being a kind individual, being kind and supportive. Before I started the charity, I was scared of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. But actually, there's no kind of right or wrong way. I think just by being a nice human being, just listening and understanding. And I think what I meant by saying it was sad for Owen is is a case of, you know, he's taken a huge amount of abuse that didn't need to, you know, and, and with, with other people and pundits and things that we are in this society at the moment that I look at it and look on Twitter and social media and just think, what is going on? I mean, there's, there's, what is there's, going on? I mean, there's no room whatsoever for any particular personal abuse directed at anyone, quite frankly. Whenever I wrote or said things uh, on the paper or newspaper, and don't forget, I've been the other side of it as well. I was used to think, would I be prepared to say that to someone if they were standing right in front of me there and then? And obviously, social media, it doesn't allow you that. Would you just forget social media? Just don't bother with it. Don't go on it. Is it it's something part of society, that, though, Steve. It's part of society. And the, I mean, a, a yeah. issue I have with this is, right, when people are constantly telling our, our sports stars, or like, you know, yeah, you know, we don't know you. You need to, like, show us your personalities. Then they go on, on social media. They go on X or whatever and show personalities and people are there to batter them down. So it's like... There is not an answer to this, Simon, is there? There's not a right or wrong answer. Well, I challenge to say that there needs to be some form of policing. Yes, well, there is that, you know, obviously. They need to be protected. You know, they're put out into the spotlight. And yeah, I completely get it, sorry. You know, if they're going to put their guard down and show vulnerability, they become easy targets, yeah. right? Mm. So it's that, what is that? There's a fine line between it. But going back to what you said, Lawrence, it's like we're all human beings. There's one thing I just mentioned with regards to people like Marley, Jack and Tom and especially with young people, is when they've come to university sessions or college sessions, it's a big eye-opener for these youngsters to actually go, God, they're just normal people. Yeah. You know, mm. you, they, you may see them playing at Twickenham or in a World Cup or in a European Cup, but actually when they talk about their struggles off the pitch, whether that's injuries, contracts, or what's going on in their lives, there's a big like, light bulb moment for these youngsters to go, oh, they're just ordinary people. Yeah. I want to ask you, not everyone is a high-profile rugby player or high-profile sportsman. So what other work do you do with grassroots, with young children or young adults? So we've had a sort of an ongoing discussion internally as, as a team of sort of how young do you start this conversation? We've started it kind of year nine, year 10 in secondary schools. And a lot of the work that we've been doing is actually with university students. So we did some research last year, just asking students what they wanted help with. And anxiety just kept coming back. You know, there's a lot of students that are anxious. And we said, well, okay, what are you anxious about? And it was kind of understanding what anxiety is, the effects it has not just mentally, but physically. We talk about performance anxiety exams. There was a huge amount with regards to the pressures of doing a degree or GCSEs, etc. And the last one was social anxiety. Because again, a huge amount of people or students, young people off the back of COVID, not going out 
And it's not just students, right? You know, I've had times where walking into a bar on your own or something, you know, that social anxiety is there. So we developed a bespoke program that was written by our team of psychologists. We're now going in and delivering those sessions in two universities at Surrey and at Sussex. Those sessions that we've kind of targeted towards young people is dealing with stress, managing stress, life transitions. I think it's that expectation as well that a lot of youngsters have now. You know, it's very different from when I grew up. You know, we didn't have the social media, didn't have those influences there. It was very much, um, I guess we were quite naive at the time. You just got on with life, right? So I think it's a very difficult time for young people to come through and just go, right, what's right, what's wrong? What's success? What's normality? All of these things. And I guess we're just trying to put things into perspective and help them on that journey. And, you know, that word resilience, you know, you're not born with resilience. You know, resilience is developed over a certain amount of time. And I think there's a lot of youngsters that, you know, that resilience is pretty low at the moment. Um, And we're just trying to help them build it and just, you know, say, look, I know you're struggling. That's okay. But here are some coping strategies. Here's some exercises that you could do. And also just being in a room with a group of young people that are open to having honest conversations. You know, lads that are saying, yeah, I'm struggling at the moment. And, you know, they just want to have those conversations as friends and as teammates. I think there's the the apps that are there and the signposting is there, but sometimes it's just having a conversation and just, just trying to be nice mates. The schools that we've helped, it's gone a bit full circle, really, because you kind of, you go and you start talking to the, the youngsters and then sort of highlights that the teachers are under quite a lot of pressure. So it's kind of helping the teachers and then the kind of full circle back around to the parents because there are parents out there that are not fully educated on and what should I say to my children? You know, having the confidence to be able to say, look, we're here. It's just trying to create that environment at home that they feel comfortable to be able to say, do you know what, mum, dad, you know, I'm struggling at the moment. So for the, how can people get in touch with your charity? How can people you know, who are listening, who could, who've got a friend or a, a relation who wants a bit of help, who might need a bit of help. Or they themselves need a bit of help. Or they themselves need a bit of help. Yeah, so website, bravemind.co.uk, Instagram, underscore bravemind, and Twitter, which is bravemind14. So yeah, come through our DMs via that. We've got support online. We've got a team of psychologists that are available. And we just want to help. We just want to do, a, do our bit. Like I said right at the beginning, if I can help one person, if I can prevent a suicide, then I've done my job. Well, listen, thanks for thanks, everything you're doing. Thank you. Um, thanks. Yes. Be incredibly supportive of everything you're doing. Keep fighting the fight and doing what you're doing. Thanks yeah. for having me, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. 
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Let's have a chat about the rugby action we've got coming up this weekend then, shall we? Shall we, gents? We shall. We shall. Okay. I join us for that is the Evening Standards rugby correspondent, Nick Perwell. Hi, Nick. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? Good. I feel like we've got a restraining order, though, against you because you're never actually in the studio with us. It's like Nick can come on, but he can only come on via Zoom. He lives in the country, don't I you? Live in, That's why. I live in Blinking Wales and I come all the way up here, Nick Perwell. <laughs> I'm just saying. There are trains, you know. But it's good this to see you. It's good to see you. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. Um, now, uh, what a great weekend um, it was in the Premiership. Cracking wins for Harley Quinn. Bristol, Bath, Northampton and Leicester. Top half of the table is, is now looking very exciting, isn't it, Lol? It's looking yeah, it like is. it's taking shape slowly. Well, I think we've had the World Cup. We've had teams that have had their stars that have come back and none more so that were settled in than Saracens where they went on, I think, a five or six match run. That's where Nick was when he wasn't at home. I bumped into him down at the Stonex Stadium on Saturday. And uh, I think the lovely thing about the Premiership is that... Uh, you know, it's got that little bit of unpredictability every now and again. Uh, Saracens were beaten. I think they were probably deservedly beaten as well by a an outstanding Northampton Saints side. And it was definitely um, Courtney Laws' captaincy that might have just shaded uh, Maritoji, who was uh, standing in for Owen Farrell. Harlequins, again, superb. That whole debate around Marcus Smith, particularly given Farrell's stood down now. And he was up against George Ford. And of course, everyone, including ourselves, make it about Marcus Smith and George Ford. But clearly the Harlequins forwards had decided to come back off their bank holiday rest <laughs> and actually performed, you know, very, very yeah, well indeed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's it's a really interesting. And, and I was lucky enough to be at, at Leicester, uh, where it was cold, wet. But they had five or six World Cup playing internationals in their forward pack. And then they obviously had Pollard and Ben Youngs. And it was inevitable, really, that they were... 47-3, and talking about mental health, as we were earlier on the show, a passionate sort of um, interview from Alex Codling, I thought, after the really, game. Really, where, really where, emotional, where yeah. Newcastle, tough, tough, tough interview to give about the fact that there's only so much you can say to players when they're giving absolutely everything, but uh, there's just not quite the quality. I mean, you know, £3 million spend versus 8 or £9 million is difficult to bridge. How are they going to solve that? I mean, I read a piece this morning which I thought was a bit harsh, which said, what was the point of Newcastle? But having worked up there for two years and knowing that rugby is not their number one sport, we know that, but how are they going to bridge that gap? Well, they're not on their own unless they find someone who's willing to put their hand in their pocket. But how is rugby dealing with anything at the moment? Why would you let Wasco go bust? Why would you let Worcester go bust? Why mm. would you let London Irish go bust? And potentially, Newcastle are now eight from eight, having not won a single game. If you're the, um, the person putting money into Newcastle, you're probably thinking, how much longer am I going to do that for? So mm. the game needs to collectively get together and help itself and help each other. Who is the game, though? Well, you're the, saying the game needs to get collected. Ga- ga- Nobody can agree on the anything ga- the in the game, is, game at the moment. The game is the governing body, the RFU, Premiership Rugby, and the clubs themselves. As I keep telling people, we're... You know, sport is about rivalry, but if there isn't anyone to rival you, you're not got a league. And, you know, we talk, try and talk very positively about the league and there were some wonderful moments across the weekend, but we've still got this kind of cloud above us about, you know, the financial stability of the competition itself. Mm, who's um, next? And, yeah. you know, we need to work together to make sure that we are keeping our best players in the league. The RFU could have a massive say in that. So I think there's issues every week that we need to address. What do you think, Nick? Well, I think the game has taken itself to a point that it can't sustain. 
in every facet, in every level. And these are all the things that, and you're talking about finances, you're talking about player safety, you're talking about future of the game. This is everything that everybody who had a problem with the game going professional when it did said would happen, and it has. And I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. And so did a lot of people at the time. These were the concerns. And when the game went professional, nobody looked at how to mitigate against any of these issues or solve these problems. Talk about Newcastle, specifically Seymour Curdy, the owner. If he hadn't stepped in and taken over from Dave Thompson when he'd basically run his coffers dry, then the club wouldn't exist. There was a point when John Hall turned around to Ken Nottage, the late Ken Nottage, who just recently died, and massive respect to him and his family, and rest in peace, Ken. He transformed Gloucester into Tom Walkinshaw. But before that, he was in charge of the sporting club in Newcastle. And so John Hall went to him at one point and said, wind it up, you've got a week. Everything but the football club is gone. And Ken said, look, give me two. I can sort something out here. And he did. That's when he found Dave Thompson to take over. Dave Thompson bought the Falcons for a pound, I think it was. And when Seymour Curdy took over, there wasn't much different then because people you know, who have deep pockets come in and they empty their pockets. And there's no solution to that. Everybody is guilty by association for that. And it's easy to say, why shouldn't WAS go under? Why shouldn't Worcester and London Irish and all the rest of it? But WAS had debts of more than £100 million. And these things can't keep going on. The other clubs weren't much better. It's disastrous that all these clubs have gone under. But by the same token, London Irish, the owners were saying for months and months and months, we've got these American investors. And it turned out to be a load of nonsense. You know, I know WAS obviously got, got plans to come back. And I... I'm confident that Wasp will do that. Fair play to them. I don't think we'll see Worcester again. We definitely won't see London Irish again. And even now, with 10 teams, we're struggling to sustain 10. So when the game went professional, the clubs took control and sidelined the RFU. That was the RFU's fault because they were too slow to get going. But at this time, everyone's got to come together and find a solution. And it isn't based around money. But if they can't afford to keep the top players, let them go and let them play for England. Don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Find a way to make it work. Let them go abroad, earn the money that they can earn, but let's not hold the game back. I'm just looking forward to coming into this podcast in the next few months with some positive news and something to be happy about. Can we look ahead, please, to well, the opening round of European On a positive not, note. Not if it's negative. No, yeah, yeah, positive, no I'm joking. On, on a positive okay. note, and, and in defence of Newcastle, they've cut their cloth accordingly and yes, they've they done are. exactly that in order that they continue as a going concern. And that is to their great credit because it's so easy, as we've seen, for clubs just to blow the budgets and disappear. And they're doing everything they can to keep going. Uh, there's a massive loyal fan base in the Northeast. It's not the biggest, but it is very loyal. And very passionate. They, they're, they're trying, yeah, exactly. And they're trying to keep it going. And, and that is to and their they, great credit. In fairness to them, they have to target a game, which they, or some games yeah. that they feel they can win, probably likely to be at Kingston Park and not at Welford Road, which is one of the hardest places to win against a, against a team that was packed full of internationals. So uh, they'll keep working hard, I'm sure. Yeah, OK. Well, let's look ahead then. Let's turn our attention to the Champions Cup and the Challenge Cup. Uh, Champions Cup sees 24 elite clubs, eight each from the Gallagher Premiership, URC, in the top 14 in four pools of six. Games are played over eight weekends with four pool stage rounds and four knockout stage rounds, all of which will culminate in the final 2024, which will be staged at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday, the 25th of May. Meanwhile, the second-year competition, the Challenge Cup, sees 16 teams qualify from across the Premiership, URC, and top 14 plus two teams not in those leagues but who are invited to take part this season they are the Cheetahs from South Africa and uh, Georgia's Black Lion Rugby Club so there you go that's the rundown for you uh, Gloucester Newcastle will be taking part in the Challenge Cup with the rest of the Premiership teams competing in the Champions Cup Nick how challenging is it for teams to now have a break from the league especially so 
those near the bottom of the table maybe who will be desperately wanting to add points um, onto their current campaign and also the teams who possibly travel quite far afield ahead of next weekend like Saracens who will be travelling to South Africa or Gloucester um, who will head over to Tbilisi. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to manage. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's uh, what's key is that these games are, for the Challenge Cup, you'd say they're the kinds of games where it can be a bit of a shot to nothing and it, it could be quite freeing for teams that haven't been playing so well. But the Champions Cup games, the, the standard is is absolutely massive. The intensity is right there. It's the closest thing to Test Match Rugby in, in club rugby, really, So but at the top end. So for the clubs like Saracens, who will want to go deep in it, the, the important thing is to have an extremely fast start. Good news that Owen Farrell should be fit this weekend, which would make a big difference to their chances. I, I mean, I think that, you know, let's be positive about this competition. I think you all know my feelings about it, and I'm sure I share the feelings about the same players that play at these top clubs. It's the greatest competition in the world in club rugby. It is international rugby in club colours. And I was fortunate enough to be at a club that won it twice. It's just phenomenal. And we've got a new sponsor in Investec. So it will be referred to as the Investec Champions Cup. And I think if you were marketing this tournament, We've obviously got the South African rugby players. They are the world champions. So we've got the world's best players playing in this competition. So it is, I think, for those who haven't seen it, it's an incredible tournament to watch. We've got two weeks of, of, of mouthwatering rugby. Um, I'm down in Bath and they're a former champion. They've got one star above their crest uh, a long, long time ago, but they do seem like a team that are, are on the up. Some amazing players playing very well. So looking forward to seeing them against Ulster. It's just quite unique fixtures, really. And you're, then obviously... You're not going to the police then. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, he is though. Where are you going? You, you are going to, somewhere. Are you going to Georgia at all? Um, I mean, what a trip. Don't from, think I'm going to Georgia. <laughs> I mean, Sarah knows that I would volunteer to go pretty much anywhere in the world. <laughs> how, how, how far is if it? If there's a night out, Lawrence yeah. will be there. Yeah, exactly. how far <laughs> if there's two nights out, I'm definitely there. <laughs> how far is that trip? I mean, that is a long way to that go. That is a long on way. The back of, well, it depends uh, if you're going on a, on a charter or a private, doesn't it, really? Let's well, be honest with you. Like, wait, like, when have we ever gone on a private jet? Very true. Very true. Very true. Kevin, now. Um, so, okay, so you'll be in Bath on Saturday. Where are you Sunday? I'm uh, at Sale, who will be looking to bounce back. Ah, um, and Sale are top of the table. They've had that big game against Harlequins that they lost and they're up against Stade Francais who are kind of back aren't they really back with a mm. with a band looking like uh, the Stade Francais of old so but I mean look at the I mean hold on a minute let's just talk about Sunday La Rochelle I love it when you say this word La Rochelle for, just again for our listeners La Rochelle La Rochelle against <laughs> Leinster I mean that was a repeat of the last two years finals yeah um, and obviously Ron O'Gara and his team not having it all their own way at the moment no Leinster obviously have got that new South African coach how have the Irish players going to cope with playing this level of rugby having been disappointed of losing the World Cup and it's down in La Rochelle so huge huge games as you say wrestling against Harlequins just hey, looking across that fiction that yeah. great game I mean yeah. to lose Cardiff wasn't that the first one of the first finals it was um, yeah, yeah, yeah it was who are you yeah. looking forward to Nick which, which tie are you looking forward to yeah, I think it'll be great to see how Queens go out at Racing, to be honest, because, you know, inside stadium, dry pitch, lovely conditions, great fast track, two teams that love to move the ball around. There's going to be some brilliant attacking rugby in there. The Henry Arundel started like a dream under Stuart Lancaster at Racing, and I think that'll only um, help him improve all the time. And yeah, let, I mean, Marcus Smith over there and, and all those guys doing their thing off the back of a good win. So massive morale boosting win last weekend. So that's going to be one for the, the high scoring purists anyway, I reckon. And I think that'll be some game. And just in terms of go back to finances briefly, yeah, Investec, that's great news that they're on board as a new sponsor. And I think the influx of the South African team can't be underestimated in terms of sponsorship opportunities. The TV deal in South Africa is massive money for the competition. 
That's a huge, huge boost. And uh, on top of that, it makes it easier to bring in companies, especially like Investec, that have a big profile in South Africa. And on top of that, the Tbilisi and the Georgia issue, you know, Georgia are obviously clearly very keen to, to press their rugby. There's a lot of fairly moneyed individuals involved in Georgian rugby and they have a massive passion for it. And I think that's another massive avenue the game needs to explore moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, concur. So, so where, where are you at the weekend? You... I'm at Connaught and uh, Connaught against... What other team's name do you love me? Bordeaux. Bordeaux, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> on, I'm just basing here for entertainment value, right? No, 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 okay, no. So. We, love, we love your beautiful Welsh accent. Connor, Connor Bordeaux, Bordeaux. Okay. yeah. And then I'm with you in sale on Sunday. We, we Who's your winners? Oh, well, I think uh, you've got La Rochelle Leinster, which has been the final. But I, I do think that there's Toulon are back in a big way. I think Toulouse are very much part of the equation. And uh, I have to say that uh, the likes of Saracens, Racing, you know, the usual suspects will be, will be there or thereabouts. So that yeah. was six teams. Yeah, well, yeah. he's covering bases. He did that in the World well, Cup as well. I, I, uh, who, I, I, who thinks going to win, Lawrence? Will it either be South Africa, New Zealand, Ireland, or France? Well, I'm Thanks, not, I'm brilliant. Not saying, I'm not saying it's anyone before a ball's even been kicked. <laughs> no, Fair this enough. is true. It was a stupid <laughs> question. <isn't it? laughs> right, um, gents, a pleasure as always. Never a chore. Well, sometimes a chore, just not today. <laughs> yeah, well, listen. So, thank you very much indeed for for you uh, for and me. to. <laughs> See, I start by introducing you so beautifully and then, you know... You actually forgot me at the start Listen, of the show, no, but you never mind. Right, say goodbye, Lawrence. Okay, thank okay. you also to Sarah Elgin. Thank you, Doris Delalio. Thank you to Steve Cording. Thank you, Lawrence. And a special thanks, uh, well, to, also to Nick and a special thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week. See you then. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.